0: It's the European Championships on Caught Offside. How oh, Now here's Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the South Jersey Shore and an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney with the European Championship quarter final recap podcast. What's up, brother?
1: A uh, bleary-eyed, Andrew, drinking tea. Uh, this is... Uh... This is one of these uh, podcasts which just shows you the lengths that we are willing to go for go to to make sure that we we always record a podcast when necessary.
0: Uh, I agree. Happy Fourth of July to everybody out there! Um, and you're right. I am. I'm in the South Jersey Shore right now in a house with 14 people, mm. my family, cousins, sister, brother-in-law, parents, everybody. My and it, it's super early in the morning, and. Everyone hates me right now.
1: Yeah, but they resent you. They have a low-lying resentment towards you anyway. They just needed something to to project upon, and they've got this now.
0: Yeah, um, because I'm pretty sure I just woke up everybody by shouting, oh, yes. But it needed to be done, JJ. (laughs) It's important. This podcast (laughs) wouldn't be the same without it, quite frankly.
1: No, No. Uh, us shouting banalities uh, into a microphone is key to this podcast.
0: Yep, it's why we succeed. Uh, All right let's let's just get right into it i mean there's no reason in in dilly-dallying here (laughs) we're into the semifinals of this competition uh once again the the action has been fast and furious and i wanted to start with the most recent game that was played and that was yesterday afternoon england and the ukraine um jj i do not have the seinfeld reference for today but um I think I think it would be a little more hurtful to have to have played that today as England win this one four 0 and they're into the semifinals.
1: Yeah, um, I wasn't thinking Seinfeld when I was watching this one. I was thinking the Italian Job, the film with Michael Caine, and um, because we were expecting from Gareth's men, we must call him Gareth now. We're at that stage of the tournament, Andrew, where he's, he's Gareth to us, mm-hmm. such as this heartwarming story. But it's the it's the scene where they're. Um, they're testing blowing up a van and uh, Michael Kane uh, is standing there and they're watching the van uh, beneath them blow up. And he turns to his, his compatriot and goes, the van, the doors don't blow off. The entire van blows up. And Michael Kane turns and goes, you were only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. And that's kind of how I felt with England last night. Cause what was supposed to happen was to be a turgid, Two nil uh, victory for England. But Pragmatic what actually is happened, the word, what,
0: JJ. That's that's the word you're supposed to
1: use. What? Pragmatic. Pragmatic. Prag- turgid. Yeah. Yes. And and for the for the first half, it was kind of following that line, and then England kind of uh, exploded with set pieces, and the Ukraine really kind of showed their legs from from extra time against Sweden, and uh, we got a four nil defeat for for Ukraine and a, a pretty a pretty confident and, and uh, cocky England after that one. I would Ooh, think.
0: Wow. Um, it's funny that we both, without having spoken about this beforehand, we, we both have quotes from something that kind of define the way we're feeling right now about mm. England and this game. Uh, I went in a little bit of a different direction, and it's a quote I think I've referenced before because it's one of my favorites, and it was Andy Bernard on The Office uh, near right. the end of that show. And he has a quote where he says, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. England fans take heed. All right. (laughs) Like you have a team that genuinely seems to love each other, players that are pretty likable, and you are now in back-to-back semifinals, World Cup 2018 and Euro 2020. These are the good old days. They're happening right now. This is not territory that England are familiar with. Usually we are at this point in a tournament talking about the disappointments of England and how you know, the unfulfilled potential and the bickering and the clicks between Manchester United players and Liverpool players and so on and so forth. None of that. None of that. Sure, there's been, you know, people have taken umbrage with some of Gareth Southgate's decisions with lineups, um, you know, personnel that he's chosen, maybe some of the style that England have chosen to play with. But ultimately, two major tournaments in a row, two semi semi-final appearances. Now you're heading back to Wembley for the semi and potentially final. This, you're in them. You're in them. So I, I hope that England fans are, are truly aware of that and the specialness of the situation that they find themselves in.
1: I think most of them are um, i I feel as if this version of its coming home is a much more confident version than uh, Russia 2018 notwithstanding the general English supporter and media arrogance that's not going anywhere mm-hmm. um, but but there's something more tangible and real about it this time, like the pathway, no disrespect to either the Ukraine or their uh, forthcoming opponents Denmark but there is a a tangible realness this and 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 to England people to people like me who want who who want to see England continue to fail in international football we we feel a genuine sense that this is closer than it's than it's ever been um to fruition it's coming home the prophecy
0: the pathway is an interesting topic because you can only play the cards that you're dealt correct and look i'm sure i mean we could go back in history and look at england being knocked out of various competitions pre before this stage of the tournament by you know great german teams or brazil uh, so they like they've been on both sides of it but it look it, it is certainly part of it that at world cup 2018 and now here at these euros no offense to germany that they face in the round of 16 but i don't think that was necessarily the version of germany that we've gotten to know over maybe the last 15 years or so Mm. Um, like they have benefited from that and that's that is okay but i'm going to talk a little bit more about that idea later when we get to belgium because i think it's also important to mention that there but you know, credit to England, we've seen them lose games before to teams that we think they should beat, and now they're doing the opposite. They're winning, like oftentimes in these tournaments, if, you, if you're if you a good nation and you beat the teams you're supposed to beat, you can go far, and England, Gareth Southgate has them doing that. Um, so, so I mean, let's talk a little bit more about this. Two goals from Kane, one from McGuire, one from Henderson. Um, I, w- I would say above all, if we're looking at goal scorers here, Harry Kane now finding his goal scoring form in the knockout stage of this competition is truly vital to him. There was a microscope that was starting to shine on him uh, as the captain of this team. And as I I think many people look at England and look at him as the best player on this team. Uh, Yeah. And there were whispers. They even mentioned it on the broadcast yesterday that there were people who thought, should Kane continue to just have this automatic place in the starting 11? He's here to score goals. He's not doing it at the rate that England fans expect, but now he is and they become much more dynamic and much more terrifying to face when he's in that form.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's fair to say he couldn't have had another three quarters of a match like he did against Germany, against Ukraine. Um, and he didn't have that. He scored after four minutes for England. Um, it's interesting the tandems in this team. Not, to, not I'm not trying to get off the Kane subject, but it's interesting the tandems that are crucial to this side. So you look at the center backs, you look at, at, at uh, Stones and Maguire um, who are the preferred pairing at the back. Then you look at the, the two holding midfielders who, come what may, will play for England regardless of opposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even against the Ukraine, we're going to do so much creativity. We're going to bring in Sancho. We're going to bring in Mason Mount. But we're not going to do so much that it means we'll break up that tandem. So that's a crucial one too. Rice and Phillips, and then Kane and Sterling, Andrew. Um, and I think in a team that doesn't create a ton of chances, usually, and hasn't created a ton of ta- chances throughout the tournament, and at one stage was creating the fewest chances at the tournament, the, the fact that Kane and Sterling are interlinking, even in, 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 in the ways we've seen against Germany and against Ukraine, that's absolutely vital. And you're right. Kane finding his his goal scoring touch is huge. Uh, another another thing another solid staple of this England team that won't go away and that was to me was crucial and really killed Ukraine was their ability to score from a set piece. We saw the Luke Shaw free kick which found uh, Maguire and that killed that finished the game uh, early in the second half against Ukraine. So there's partnerships, there's there's a way of playing that Southgate has developed with this team and and those tandems and partnerships are huge and Kane is, is part of one. And that's why he's going to continue to start.
0: Yeah, it, it was a great assist by Raheem Sterling to set up that first Harry Kane goal. Raheem Sterling has been, he's been superb. He's been England's England. most
1: important player.
0: He probably has. Uh, although I will submit one other one. Um, but before I do that, I, I just want to go off of something you just said. Like uh, It is interesting, JJ, because I know we, had, we were kind of debating whether or not we felt like Gareth Southgate had found his 11 and that he was going to move forward, you know, Bukayo Saka. Like we, we were wondering if that was going to be it. And sure enough, it was not. Um, Now, like you said, he has certain players that are becoming undroppable for him. And by the way, before this tournament began, did you think that Phillips and Rice would be two of those guys that just like were automatics in this lineup? Uh, I don't, I don't think that I would have, but it's played out that way.
1: I I think that the injury to Henderson opened the door for Calvin Phillips and it's worked out really well. And I just there will be no changing from it.
0: But I'll say this um, in in terms of the way that Gareth did did change up the lineup. um, Boy, we, we hadn't seen much of him. We, at times, almost forget about him because he doesn't play in the Premier League. But Jaden Sancho came on yesterday and started that game for England and really gave them some kind of creativity that maybe, you know, we don't see from a ton of their players. But you, you can you could certainly see in flashes yesterday why he is so highly touted. And, and part of me, like, I'm enjoying this tournament so much from the international perspective. But there were definitely moments watching him of being like, oh, great, like, we're going to have to deal with him at United now. Like he, he is a special player. You can clearly see it.
1: Yeah. I, I, I thought there was, there was flashes in the first half and flashes in the second half. It, it was a difficult game. Um, the Stadio Olimpico has always struck me as a slightly narrower pitch than most fields. And I, I actually, I looked it up last night and it is, it is like two or three yards narrower than, than some international fields. And I thought Ukraine in the first half made it look that way. You know, they really accentuated the the tightness and being compact. And it was it was harder for Sancho. Sancho had to go a little bit deeper to pick the ball up. So did Sterling, to be fair. Um and and try and run at players. But when he did run at players, there was one run particularly before halftime, which just on it was it was in transition on the break down the left-hand side. And Sancho put the fear of God into the into the players. Uh yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how United utilize him. Um, not not to go off on a, a tangent here, but was a attacking player of his of his nature the absolute essential thing that Manchester United needed probably not but it's it's going to be fun to see him it's going to be fun to see if he can exact revenge on on the team that initially let him go to dortmund um yeah the noisy neighbors
0: yep uh, but I referenced before you had said that Raheem Sterling has been the standout player for England in this tournament. I wouldn't fight you on it, but I would submit somebody else who I, I think should be mentioned there. And Luke Shaw has been excellent for England, not just in, I mean, we'll talk about England's defense in a sec, but you know, the assist that he's providing on, on it's starting to feel like almost a game in game out basis for them, what he's provided for them in terms of width his, his crosses have been spot on throughout the course of this tournament and, and England defensively, it's interesting, JJ, because, you know, you look at each individual guy and you can look at, you know, either points from this season in the Premier League or seasons in the not too distant past. Uh, but, you know, Shaw, McGuire, Stones, uh, you know, there, there's been other guys in and out on the other side, Trippier. But like these are all guys who at, at various points in the not too distant past have had knocks against them. You know, some sort of criticism against them, or sometimes in the case of guys like Luke Shaw, it's, you know, it's injuries. He just can't stay healthy. Like looking at them all on paper, you wouldn't necessarily look at it and say, that's a great defense. They're going to be hard to break down, but like, but here we are. They don't concede goals. They have not conceded a goal in this tournament. Five games into this tournament, they have not conceded. I believe it's the first time that's happened at a European championship. So, you know, obviously some of that is going to be Southgate and his decision to put that shield of two defensive midfielders in front of them. Mm. But at a certain point, too, we do have to look at some of these guys and the goalkeeper, by the way, Jordan Pickford, too. Another guy who fits that mold of somebody who has come under criticism in the last couple seasons. Is he really England's number one? Is he well, the he best a... they can do? And like, here they are. They don't concede.
1: Pickford made a big save before before half time. Um, which I mean, if England are going in one one into into half time, that's that game takes on a, a, a different complexion for them. But you're right. I think if you look at the at the at the four at the back that played in Rome yesterday, you know, there's been question marks over Maguire at Manchester United. Stones was in the wilderness for for long enough to the point where I'm sure there was question marks in his mind over the last eighteen months to two years, whether he be at this tournament. Mm. Uh, Kyle Walker as well. Uh, and, and Luke Shaw. And uh, There was a tweet last night. I can't remember who it was from, but it was uh, Luke Shaw is bossing and playing brilliantly on Mourinho's new patch of turf, <laughs> which is true. He was. And there was this weird exchange last week um, where I say it was weird. I felt bad for Mourinho because he's working for TalkSport. At the moment, analyzing the European Championships, so he's going to have to give his opinion. And he was talking about um, Shaw's deliveries and his crossing, not against Germany. I think it, it, it was either against the Czech Republic or, or, or Scotland, or I, I can't even remember what game it was. It doesn't really matter. But Mourinho was was criticizing them, and okay, it was put to Shaw then an oppressor, and uh, <laughs> Shaw responded, you know, he gave Mourinho. I'd say he gave him both barrels, but he was pretty withering in his kind of analysis of Mourinho. And it just rem- reminds you, uh, not not so much that Luke Shaw has disdain for what Mourinho tried to do to his career, but more that you know, Luke Shaw was in that position under Mourinho where, you know, the manager was his whipping, he used he was used as the manager's whipping boy, you know, talking about. Uh, Luke Shaw needs me to, I need to talk Luke Shaw through games. You know, I have to be his brains, you know, things like that. And, and for Shaw now to be, um, you know, like you said, a crucial cog in that England defense is pretty remarkable turnaround to be fair.
0: Yeah. Um, And looking also at that uh, with Luke Shaw, I saw a tweet yesterday also JJ from uh, Duncan Alexander uh, who said, He said Luke Shaw provided more assists in three minutes and 51 seconds versus Ukraine than Zinedine Zidane did in 14 appearances at the Euros. <laughs>
1: That's just nasty. Just mean, mean-spirited. How dare, how dare anyone By the way, smirch the memory of Zidane?
0: What is it you always say about Harry Maguire's head? What is it you call him? Uh,
1: well, I don't. I, or the general he, nickname. Strab head. Yeah. I don't he's know got, why. It's just true. It just is true. He's got a big Irish forehead, like, like a lot of us do. <laughs> so. I, I mean, the way
0: he takes a header, it's just like, it feels so powerful. It's like his head is made of iron, but they're yeah. set. They're set pieces in general. I mean, there was his, I mean, it wasn't all set pieces. It was just, you know, also just balls crossed in Harry Kane's wasn't a set piece. Um, but Henderson's was, I mean, it's, it's England have dating back to the last world cup. I think it's, what is it? Eight goals or ten goals? Something like that from set pieces—the most of of any team in that time. So they, it's another element of tournament play: defend well and take advantage of your set pieces. It's kind of like they're they're like unlocking the, the key to what it is to succeed in these tournament formats.
1: Before we stop uh, talking about the sasnak there's a interesting the, the Sasanak. Irish for the English.
0: Oh, uh, you have so many names for them. It's hard to keep up. The Sausenuck, the the perfidious Albion. Can't we just call them
1: England? Yeah, yeah. We uh, we maybe we should. Uh, but but you, before I forget this now with my, my nonsense, because uh, it is early in the morning and I'm I'm trying to keep a train of thought here, Andrew. You yeah. did make a point about there about tournament play, and it, it's something that the the English media have written a little bit about because Garrett Southgate's managerial career as it was at Middlesbrough was a disaster. Like it wasn't good, but you know, he went to the 21s, he went into the English setup and he kind of learned or understood how tournament football works. And I won't say there's a formula or a template, but there kind of is for what he's trying to do here. And, you know, I think he, because he spent so much time with, with you teams and, and now with England, where it is just tournament football, he has an understanding of the nuances and the little things it takes to win a tournament football game or a knockout game that are, are, are different from regular club football, regular international qualifiers or whatever. And, um, and it seems to be standing to him and uh, you know, the homework has been done. They're, you know, they're they're never going to be the most exciting team. I think it's fair if we criticize the French for having an abundance of talent and not doing anything really with it. It's important that we talk about England in the same regard. You're never going to, oh, England are playing. You're excited England are playing because they're England, not because of the style of football they play. But to give Southgate its credit, there is a uh, a tournament formula or a tournament algorithm, a tournament algorithm that he seems to have tapped into. Yeah,
0: it's it's very ironic, JJ. We're sitting here uh, talking about a a great England victory on on a day really that is to commemorate England's greatest defeat on July 4th. What do you what would they rather have, JJ? Do you think if if England they could win the European Championships this year or never have lost the uh, the Revolutionary War and still still have America as
1: as one of its colonies? Do you think they would think they make that trade? not right now. I don't think so. I'm sure there was a time maybe in the mid 80s where they thought, God, could have, could have held on to America there. But um, no, I don't think they're making that trade right now. And, uh, you know, we could analyze one of the set piece battles from from the Revolutionary War if you wish. Um, I'm surrounded by Revolutionary War history. Down the street from me on 9th Street is where the uh, Maryland Regiment were massacred by the British as they tried to take a position, a key position here in Brooklyn, and um, it's believed that there's about 200 Maryland uh, soldiers, uh, patriots, buried uh, beneath the uh, an American uh, Legion office. Wow! Yeah, that is interesting. So they were the Americans, the American forces, the uh, were trying to shell or or cannon the British position from the Gowanus um, marsh it would have been a big marsh at the time um, because this was farmland mostly and the english position was just that little bit more elevated and they they, they destroyed the maryland regiment so wow. um so in, in, you know in terms of a set piece victory there there's a there's a crossover between the english defeat of ukraine and the english defeat of the maryland battalion.
0: yeah there uh, uh, really is some there is no crossover there is no
1: crossover
0: yeah no zooks Uh, One final note uh, on this, JJ England. So now England move on to the semifinal. They're going back to Wembley. And it leads to one of these very interesting coincidental statistics where so England in their last 16 games played at Wembley Stadium, they have only lost one of them. Do you happen to know who that came against? Say that again. In England's last 16 games at Wembley Stadium, which is obviously where they're headed now for the semi-final, um, they've only lost one game in those 16. 14 wins, one loss, one draw. Do you know who that one solo loss was against?
1: That and that. This is across like friendlies and everything.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, it was against Denmark.
0: That's right, my friend.
1: Oh, nation- silly coincidences in the nation's league and uh, Harry Maguire got a red card and they were kind of overrun a bit.
0: Yeah. October 14th, 2020 and the game winning goal that day was scored for Denmark by Christian Erickson. And it leads us now into that game and, and this run that Denmark has made to a semifinal um, it's, it is emerging or has already emerged as the story of the tournament uh, Saturday marked three weeks exactly from their first game against Finland and mm. those horrific scenes of Christian Eriksson on the field. It's,
1: it seems so much longer than three weeks.
0: I can't even believe it. It does. Um, and yet it also, but at the same time it also kind of feels like it was yesterday. Like I, I remember the images and the feeling of it all so vividly, like it just happened, but you're right. It's hard to believe that that was like still a part of this tournament. Um, just like the feeling then after that, as that was occurring was like, I don't even want to watch the rest of this tournament. Now this all feels so meaningless. And yet here we are, Denmark are still playing Christian Eriksen is, is okay. And this is by and large since that moment, been an extraordinarily fun tournament and Denmark have been, a big reason for that they get through to one is the final uh, and they are into the semifinals for the first time since 1992, when they won this tournament beating Germany in the final um, the 29 years between semifinal appearances is the longest between semifinals for any team at the Euros and credit to them. Uh, they have, they have found it. They have been fun to watch. I yes. would say also, um, you know, and they, uh, you know, a lot of attention goes to, to certain players, obviously Erickson being the best player on that team and a player who's not there. And I think once that happened, you know, you, it was hard to necessarily see this hat like see their road taking them as far as it has uh, to lose him. But like, there are still a like, Casper Dahlberg is an excellent player, you know, Simone care, excellent player. Like they're, they're not just a one man team and they are, proving that along with whatever spirit they've kind of gained from the way that this tournament began has it's galvanized them clearly and here they are into a semi
1: i i think it's important um to to be fair to this team and to what they've done and i saw a few people tweeting us yesterday you know i asked well prior to the the, the game uh, against the Czechs in baku by the way i mean I wonder what effect that kind of travel is going and, and that kind of exertion is going to have on the Danes then coming back to play to play in Wembley. Um, some, of the, some of the decisions, you know, over venue. This tournament has been incredible, but it's also been absolutely crazy in terms of what it's asked athletes and, and supporters to, to try and achieve in terms of venue and watching games. But prior to the game, A few people were tweeting i was saying well who do you fancy the czech republic or denmark and someone tweeted at us that uh you know well denmark can only run an emotion for so long and i thought that was really unfair because first of all take for uh for example casper what he's done as manager he's in the face of this unbelievable adversity he's changed tactics you know, and the 3-4-3 three, three that they've employed has worked superbly well. You know, if there's names that are running in your head, like uh, Joachim Mela and uh, Striga Larson down, you know, left and right for, for, for Denmark, it's because they're on the ball so much and they're doing such amazing things. I mean, Mela's assist for Dahlberg. Yeah. With the outside of the right foot. Andrew, it's another one that goes into, into the sensual goals hall of fame. That was such a ridiculous goal. Such a ridiculous pass. I'm going to be remembering that one forever. Such a good goal. Um, but look at, like you said, Dahlberg's come into the side and kind of assume the mantle of goal scorer because they were struggling with Braithwaite and, and even to a lesser extent, I know he's got a goal, but Damsgard, you know, uh, Poulson, not prolific scorers, and they, find a way to, they found a way to get goals out of Dahlberg. They were a little bit lucky yesterday, the opening goal was, I don't think that was a corner. No. Um, but again, it's a corner and the Czechs completely don't defend it. They leave Thomas Delaney unmarked. But again, another hero in the center of the park doing tireless work, Thomas Delaney. Hoiberg, I thought was excellent yesterday at times. And um, Simon Kerr, Vestergaard, and Christensen as a back three tandem. They've been great. Kasper Schmeichel had a, a couple of uh, nervy moments in terms of his kicking, but made a crucial save as well at a crucial moment to deny the checks. Okay. Yeah. There's emotion. And they've been running on a field, you know, a feeling of emotion since what happened happened. And it, and you say it has galvanized them. Yeah. But the, what's galvanized them more than anything is they're playing good football. Yeah. And, and that for me shouldn't be, shouldn't be lost in, in, in everything that's happened surrounding Christian Eriksen. It wouldn't be fair to do that.
0: Yeah, no, I, I entirely agree with that. Uh, Dahlberg, by the way, three knockout stage goals, I mean, he's he has emerged. Like you said, he has emerged for them when they they badly needed somebody to kind of take on that role. And he's he's been excellent. Um, I will say on the Czech Republic side of this, pour one out for Patrick Schick. Yeah, the tournament tournament will miss him. Um, I think his odds entering the tournament I I was reading recently were 100 to one for the to be the golden boot winner i mean like i remember when we talked about czech republic in our group previews like the thing was okay they you know Sufal, fall they have a couple good quality players but like where ultimately where are the goals going to come right. from? i mean patrick Schick, like he stood up and was like oh uh okay i'll do that um and by the phenomenal way no performance from him in this he, tournament
1: yeah the goal he scored yesterday was an excellent goal um side foot into the bottom corner you know, I, I look forward to, to him ending up at either Everton or Newcastle (laughs) because that, that is such a transfer for him. That is the, the most tournament signing would be to sign for one of those clubs to sign him.
0: Yeah. Um, And so now it's Denmark and England, like we said at Wembley stadium. Uh, And now, I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about fortuitous paths again, like you almost don't want to say it because it, it doesn't fit the fun narrative that the Denmark story has become, but to a certain extent, they have also benefited uh, from a path that opened up for them to kind of give them a chance to get here. Again, they had to beat some good teams along the way, no question about it, but this is going to be the, this will be the bridge toughest to cross. Uh, certainly. I mean, until they get to a final, that would, if they do that, that would be even more difficult, but Denmark, England,
1: I, I... It's,
0: it's, that's a tough one.
1: It, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I I like England certainly Gart Southgate won't. I mean, the English media and English supporters probably will, but um Southgate won't take them for granted. He can't take them for granted. There's too many good players in the side. Um, I do wonder like physically and mentally where they're at. Um again, it, it it's amazing to watch these players absolutely spent on the field in Baku in sweltering, steamy, bammy conditions. And then that flight back, and and how that affects them. Um, I, I the injury report over the next few days is going to be crucial too. I know um, the aforementioned Mailer picked up a a knock, and I thought he was going to come off against the Czechs, but he didn't. Uh, be interesting to see where he's at with that injury. Uh, he should be okay, I presume, because he finished the game. But like, they can't afford to lose anybody right now. Um. And this is this. I mean, this is their their toughest opponent. But expect England to set up as they always will against this team, uh, with that certain level of of conservatism and um, and pragmatism. Well, it's but- going to
0: be interesting because two strengths are going to go up against one another. Because we've spoken about how tough and stingy England's defense have been; they have not conceded. And look at the other side of this. Quietly, Denmark. Tw- so this 2020 or, or 2021 Denmark team has scored 11 goals so far at this Euros. Uh, not too many teams at European championships have scored more goals than that. And Denmark aren't done yet. There's a chance they can move up on the list. And and when I read you some of the teams that have, it's like, which one of these is not like the others Uh, you had. The most goals ever scored at a single Euro was 1984, France. They, They scored 14 goals at that. And then followed by that with 13 goals in a tournament, 2000, France, 2016, France and 2000 Netherlands. Then mm-hmm. with 12 goals at a single Euros, 2020 Spain, so a team currently playing right now, and uh, 2020, 12 Spain and 2008 Spain. Um, and then d- this version this year, Denmark and also Italy of this tournament have 11 goals. So like you look at those teams, Spain, Spain, France, 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 Italy, the Netherlands and and this Denmark team. Uh, so it's going to be like. We'll find out, I guess, how strong this England defense is because they're going to be going up against a unit who maybe while they lack some of the big names of some other teams, at the very least, like you said, their manager has them set up in a way where they're playing very well and their goal-scoring form is excellent right now. So it'll be a fun matchup, no question about it.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, all right. We continue now, JJ, uh, to the probably the, the most high-profile matchup this round, and it was Italy and Belgium. Whew man, the Italians get through fun game, tense, tense, second half, no second half goals in this one. It was all scoring in the first half, uh, but a a really fun game where it just, I don't know. It felt to me watching it like in that second half that a goal was going to, I just was waiting for it and waiting and waiting. And it just for Belgium, that is. And it
1: just It
0: never came. It never came. And they're out.
1: They are out, Andrew. And I, I think on the, on the course of that game, that's fair. Um, I think people are a little blinded at the moment by the um, the old Italian tactics, the darker arts. Not the quite fir- the dark arts. On the, on the first goal? Maybe the grey arts. No, 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 no. The, 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 on the first goal. Well, we can talk about that. Immobile, or Immobile, excuse me. Immobile uh, goes down. He's looking for something. Play continues around him. Ball ends up into the net. Brilliant feat from... Uh, Chiesa uh, or, so, excuse me, Barella super yeah. goal and uh, you know, they're off celebrating and he wants to be part of it uh, I, I've seen a ton of tweets a lot of them are coming from the American soccer space, this is why most of America can't take world soccer seriously oh, no it's God. not, it's not it really isn't, anybody who's been watching the game for any length of time knows I've been watching Italian players roll around all my life it's no big deal. No one cares. No one was conned by it. Um, some people were looking for, you know, uh retro retrospective action, you know, that he should be some, serve some kind of uh ban or 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 some kind of punitive uh, are people measures say, against him. People are him. saying that? Uh, a few people tweeting us. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't heed it. Um I mean, I mean it, it was, was
0: funny. Like was fu- I laughed at it, but yeah. I, I wasn't I wasn't like you know, shaking my fist in rage. This is why the sport no. can't succeed. Like, what?
1: No, I. <laughs> um, but, but, but to go to the not the dark arts, but to say the last 10 minutes where Italy are trying to kill the game in classic time wasting Italian fashion. Um, that, was, that was a throwback. As much as we think this Italy team is different and is new and vibrant and forward looking and progressive, um, they're still very much rooted in uh, in the old ways of killing a game, and, and fair play to them. That's absolutely fine. But Italy completely deserved to win this one. I thought my man Lorenzo Insigne was fantastic, really superb, outside of even the goal that he scored. And Belgium... Well, hold on. We'll get to Belgium in a sec. Well, um, I think for Italy, you look at that result... You look at that performance. Mancini uh, said in his post-match comments, "I never thought we suffered at any point in the game," which was interesting. And even when there was a, a late kind of, would you call it a Belgian onslaught? I guess you would. Um, when Belgium were trying to find that equalizer, you know, Chiellini and the the defensive minded uh, defensive mindedness of the Italians clicked into gear, and they they mapped up everything that needed to be mopped up. Um, but they don't come out of this uh, game unscathed. Mm. And I wonder if the Achilles heel in the side now will be the fact that one of their best performers throughout this competition has been their fullbacks, uh, Di Lorenzo and Spinazzola. And Spinazzola, we, we're hearing, has torn his Achilles tendon and that's huge andrew that's yeah. a huge miss from them he's been he's been really good and now i wonder who comes in to replace him will it be emerson or maybe i think will. so yeah but again not i know it's a tournament a lot of club rules don't apply this isn't the guy who's exactly you know pulling up trees domestically Does it affect the balance, especially on that side? On that side, Spinazzola was on Chiellini's side. Mm. I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's obviously, it's vital that that happened. Um, Just to go through a couple of you know, ways in which Spinazzola was affecting this tournament. First of all, he was the only player clocked at 21 miles per hour in this tournament. So it's an incredible element of speed that they're losing. Um, And what's interesting here with him, you know, a torn Achilles, I I sometimes, I don't always know why those occur, if it's randomness or if it can come from wear and tear. Because listen to this, he's, Spinazzola has played more minutes in the last seven days than he had in any seven-day stretch during the 2020-2021 season. Um, So, like...
1: Can I I actually throw... can I throw that one out there, Andrew? I'm going to throw out a, a medical theory. Um, you know, I wonder is the fact like you're saying all that wear and tear, all that playing, all those minutes, uh, sometimes on heavy surfaces. Um, if that affects, if your calves get super uh, uh, fatigued or tight, does that have an effect? Does that make it more likely that you can rupture an Achilles? Is there any data on that? I know we've got people who are medical people listening to the podcast. So I'd be interested to hear what, what, what the theories are on that because, it, it, it just seems so random.
0: Well, yeah, it does. But you're right. I have no idea. Uh, however, we are doctors. We should know this. Um, but but it's interesting because he's dealt with injuries it, over the course of his career. Now he happened to be healthy and he was playing an extraordinary amount of minutes, playing a, a vital role for them. Again, high usage rate. and uh, And now this affects him at, at the worst moment. Beyond that, JJ, he created three chances for Italy in this game, tied for the most of any Italian mm. player on the day. And, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, he made maybe the biggest play of the entire tournament for Italy thus far in blocking Romelu Lukaku's point-blank attempt to oh. tie it in the second half. Um, I mean, look, it, it's a joint effort there. Obviously, some of it is Spinazzola being in the, in the absolute perfect position um, to prevent that shot from going in. And part of it, too, I'm sure... I feel for Romelu Lukaku when he goes back and watches video of that. I know he's going to think that he should be making better contact with it. He did not get yeah. great contact. He kind of scuffed it. Still, it was goal bound, and it, was- and it needed an intervention from a defensive player, in this case, Spinazzola, to not go in. But uh, it was part of that is also Lukaku not making the contact that he wanted.
1: You're right. I think, I think it was a tiny, tiny bit behind him. But for a striker in the form he's in. He's got to score. He's yeah. got to score. And I, I think uh, people were talking about Thomas Muller's miss against England as, as one that will leave you awake at night, staring at the ceiling, think about, thinking about it for weeks and months afterwards. There's no question this is going to be the same for Romelu Lukaku, who is, I can't believe I'm saying this, is a striker that divides opinion. Still? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He seems to be um, again certainly in the online space, which is kind of not exactly. It's not. It's not a perfect measure, but don't forget we talk about uh, Premier League Anglocentrism in football, and a lot of people are still talking about him in the same way he was talked about when he was at Manchester United. Things about his control and his first touch, and despite the season he's at at Inter, I, I was listening to. Um, James Horncastle talk on on the second captain's podcast about this. And and he said uh, he doesn't understand it, but he says whenever he tweets something praising about Lukaku in his mentions, immediately there's something about Lukaku's first touch or that he was poor at Manchester United. And we are not exempt from that either. We had a, um, we had a kid tweet us saying that he's, he's one of the worst strikers he's ever seen. Now, obviously that's hyperbole that's nonsense. He's never seen Cameron Jerome play. <laughs> that's not, but that's just not nice. That's not, it's not actually, that's nasty. I'm taking that back. I, I sorry, Cameron Jerome. That's not fair. You were a striker at a different level. That's not right by me. Apology that's accepted.
0: I'm sure he heard that apology and it's, thinks, you know what? We're good JJ.
1: Yeah. It's mean spirited. I apologize for what yeah. I said there, Cameron, but, but the point being is that um I'm sure he didn't mean Lukaku was the worst striker he's ever seen, but he's still a striker that frustrates him or, He's not convinced by, and the fact that you can bundle in the, all the goals he did in Syria this season, and, and still have people talk like that is, I mean, and this is only going to be fuel to the fire. You know the way football is right now. It's, you know, eaten, There's a there's a phrase I don't know if you've ever heard it. eaten bread is soon forgotten. Um, and the the exploits of Romelu Lukaku for some people will have dissolved. In the same way that ball kind of dissolved off his shin and went wide.
0: That sounded like a fancy way of saying, um,
1: "What was it? Eaten bread is uh, eaten bread is soon forgotten."
0: Yeah, is, is that just essentially like, "What have you done for me lately?" Yeah, okay. pretty much. There you go.
1: I could have said that, but
0: but you have to. You're on a different level of thought. Than <laughs> I'm <levels>. not.
1: I'm <laughs> genuinely not. It's just you're adult. <laughs> And everything I say surprises you even though it's like basic stuff. So look, I don't want to, this is,
0: this is about Italy. Of course, this is their triumph. They're into a semifinal. They have rebounded spectacularly from a a transitional era in their history, a team that we always expect to be competing at world cups and European championships. And maybe that was taken for granted at the last world cup and the last qualifying cycle, but here they are, they're back nearly atop the perch once again Uh, at this tournament, they've probably, if I was power ranking, uh, the teams at this tournament, they would probably occupy my number one slot. So props to them. This is about them. Uh, however, with Belgium going out, it raises a lot of really, really interesting questions about this team, this generation of Belgium. Um, it's almost, I said to you before we started recording today that we could almost do a podcast on how this Belgium side will be looked upon uh, for, for years to come. Because, you know, we, the, this is, this was the golden generation and this was supposed to be the pinnacle moment for them. Uh, if you look at the ages of the players involved, um, like this was, this was it. There was sort of an now or never feel to it. Now we'll, we can talk about that in a sec, but here's the things that come to my mind when I'm just taking my overall stock of, of how I'm going to view this Belgian side for Number one, and this is obvious, but sometimes it still needs to be said. JJ, good fortune plays an extraordinary role in these things, especially in these tournaments, these single elimination tournaments. Um, you know, the hazard injury. Uh, I'm not saying that the results would have been different had he played, but I would have liked to have seen a full Belgium team, especially with one of their best players on the on the pitch. And look, we we have to also mention Kevin De Bruyne, who suffered an injury in the previous game, did play in this. I thought played really well. Um, had a great attempt in the first half was a part of the action for Belgium all throughout. Uh, And then we came to find out afterwards that he had a torn, he has torn ankle ligaments and played on it. And really like, you almost couldn't tell that's incredible. Um, And like, first of all, it says a lot about him as a player who just kind of decided, no, I'm, I don't care. I'm playing and it's not going to affect me. Don't worry. I'm good. Worry about, you know, Roberto Martinez, worry about other stuff. You don't have to worry about me. Like, what a god what what a, an admirable guy and an admirable player he's just top notch of course and also too like for the it, it was a kind of a reminder for me jj of this idea that like sometimes we wonder about internationals do players care as much like are they more about their club i'm not saying that they care less or more about one or the other but my god you see stuff like that and like this, this just means everything to them. I don't care that their financial ties are to their club teams. Like for guys, for Kevin De Bruyne to fight through torn ankle ligaments to be able to play in this game, like I don't want to hear anymore about like internationals not really being a thing. Guys don't care the way they used to. It's not true. That's that's all silliness and nonsense to me. I don't buy it. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing with Belgium that I think this is the bigger topic here is, boy, like how we judge success and failure – is extraordinarily harsh in sports because it is of course results oriented and that's the simplest way to judge it it's black and white but you look at belgium and i just wonder is there can there be gray with them and with this golden generation because obviously um look first it bears mentioning that while while we kind of are Almost saying that this generation is through. Players from this team are going to continue to compete for them at major tournaments. De Bruyne, Lukaku, younger players. I mean, my God, what we saw from Jeremy Doku at 19 years old in this game—like, oh, you can at least see that there is there are right. guys. You know, Yuri Telemans is what 25, 26. Um, other guys will move on. vermalen Vertongen uh, Alderweireld is close. I don't know. Maybe he'll be a part of next uh, their World Cup team. Um, but for the most part, like, it feels like this was kind of their best. Shot, and they're going to now leave this era without silverware, and or even reaching a final. And for a lot of people, that's going to be cut and dry. Did not fulfill their potential. They were number one in FIFA's world rankings. Didn't fulfill their potential. Uh, but I want to read this from Rory Smith in the New York Times, JJ, because he he kind of goes through the gray area of this, and he says, oh, okay. um He writes in the in the Times, the first team that reached a quarterfinal in the two. Uh, he's talking about the different. V- the the Belgium golden generation. He's kind of going through tournament by tournament. He says uh, that first team reached a quarterfinal at the 2014 world cup, then was eliminated by a more experienced Argentina. It traveled to the same stage at the European championships in 2016, only to fall to an unheralded surging whale side. Two years later at the world cup in 2018, Martinez broke that particular ceiling. Belgium outclassed Brazil in the round of eight and fell by the most slender of margins to the eventual winner France in the semifinals. A frenetic loss to Italy in Munich on Friday meant a backward step, bowing out in yet another quarterfinal. According to the terms of the original agreement, that means that Belgium has failed, but that rather fails to take into account that success can and should be relative. For a nation of Belgium's size, that record is formidable. For a nation of its recent history, it is stri- a striking improvement. Before 2014, Belgium had not qualified for a major tournament in more than a decade, and it had not been to a quarterfinal since the 1986 world cup. That's a lot. Like you look at this run and obviously there will be, there there will be things that stand out losing to Wales at that stage in the tournament. That will be an enormous disappointment that will live with them for a long time. Um, And, you know, I don't want to just brush it aside. Like this Belgium team thought they were good enough to probably beat teams like France uh, or Italy. But like, like I said, good fortune plays a role in this JJ England are in a semifinal right now because they had Ukraine in the quarterfinals. Look at their run back at the 2018 world cup, like, you know, Sweden in a quarterfinal, no, no offense to those teams, but Belgium have been dealt a hand that saw them go up against France that here saw them going up against Portugal in a round of 16 and then Italy in a round of eight. It's, it's not as simple to say that this generation failed. It's just not for me. I can't, I just can't say it about them.
1: I, I suppose the question now is that there is a much shorter window between tournaments. So could you patch up this Belgian team or, or absorb a few changes? Like for me, the big thing is three center halves deep into their thirties now. Yeah. Like what are you going to do? grow another few center halves and bring them in? or are there ready made replacements there for those players? The question for me is could they st- patch this thing up, get hazard to get fit and, and, and focus focus refocus again because we're only 18 months, less actually, from another tournament. Mm-hmm. So is this window still actually open? You're, may I mean,
0: like I said, for certain players, a hundred percent, absolutely, yes. it is. Yeah, and they'll be really good at that tournament, and who there will be people that potentially pick them to win it. But I guess I'm just looking at it because I would say, I don't know, may, I could be wrong, but I feel like there are definitely players who were uh, who were a fixture of this era that will not be a part of that team, and so from that mindset, like for at least some of these guys, this era of Belgium dominance has ended and it's ended without a trip to a final. So that's why I'm kind of delineate delineating this as like a, a landmark moment, but you're right. Like they're not going to just suddenly be a bad team. Like, it's not hmm. like, you know, they turn back into a pumpkin. It's midnight and, and that's that. Now I will say uh, in their, I believe it was during their round of 16 match against Portugal. I think it was Derek Ray, on commentary and he was talking about how he was sort of talking about this now or never sentiment around Belgium, which certainly bleeds into the next world cup. You're right. But he, I don't have the list of things in front of me, but he said there is going to be a talent gap when this all ends. What was it JJ? Were you watching? I think he had said that they didn't, uh, their under 21s didn't qualify for the world cup. They're like, there was a series of, of youth tournaments that, Belgium were, were severely lacking in. Um, right. And, you know, I mentioned Doku as a guy who at 19 years old, I mean, we, we talk about Patrick Schick and the attention that's on him. Like this was a pretty standout day, I would say for Ren, uh, Jeremy Doku, but like, like we talked about with the U S you know, there was kind of that like lost generation. We had a good team and then like it was gone and now we have a good one again, we think, but like, I, I just wonder, you know, I read to you those numbers. Belgium hadn't been to a quarterfinal since 86. They hadn't qualified for a major tournament in over 10 years. Like, this is what they've done in the last decade is not necessarily who we've known them to be. So will there be some sort of reversion to the mean when this is all said and done? There probably will be.
1: I think as well, there's, a, there's statistics out there that show, you know, not necessarily that population, population there's a direct correlation between population and producing great footballers because we've seen like you said belgium and croatia you know at moment iceland buck that trend but it is much harder much much harder for the smaller nations to keep this kind of thing up and when a golden generation comes along i guess there's there's such a everybody's watching their ages everybody's looking at birthdays because they want this team to achieve in the winning window of between 24 and, and 30, 32 years of age. And I understand that, um, but it, it is tougher for smaller nations to compete against the Englands and the France's and the Germany's. Right. Um, these,
0: these moments are fleeting for some of are. these countries.
1: No, it's kind of kind of a sad note when you think about it. Also, they need to figure out uh, a couple of things. One uh, one in particular, which is that the manager's situation Roberto Martinez is not solidified yet so is he going to come back for the World Cup qualifying cycle which will begin very quickly you know things like that need to be sorted out and um, I think continuity if I was them I would I would get talk to the players say can we if we can do this possibly everyone let's roll up our sleeves and go at it again Um, run it back just just run it back yeah
0: well, if only it were that simple, but you know, you know how these things go. Like guys are going to get hurt. Uh, that yep. The timing of that world cup is going to play a role. Like who will be, who will be healthy from the first portion of club seasons. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting, but I haven't, even though maybe we didn't see Belgium at their best in this tournament, which I, I'm sure is a thing that will frustrate them. Uh, I have enjoyed them. Certainly. Uh, I mean, certainly at the last world cup, they were, I thought they were really fun, Um, but yeah, it's 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 tough for them.
1: It's something you talk to me about regularly um, and something football fans, football fans have got into this transactional currency of talking about teams and players in terms of, Oh, well, he never won there. Or he never did. You know, if it's just about winning trophies, that is a very, very narrow way to look at the game. And I know when you hear people like Roy Keane talk on, on TV, you would think that is the only thing, um, you know, well, he hasn't won a trophy. Uh, but there's got to be more to it than that. There just has to be. And, um, and I suppose maybe, maybe that's something we look at with this Belgian team.
0: Yeah. Um, now, like we said, Italy advanced to the semifinal where they will face Spain who get through on penalties. Over Switzerland, God, penalties are just so stressful. <laughs> um, especially for, if you're Spain and Busquets walks up there, you know, this longtime Spanish um, great misses the first penalty. And it's just like immediately they had to be have been awash with feelings of just like, uh-oh. Um, but they do survive thanks to, I mean, some not so great penalties by both sides, but uh, it is Spain that, that come through.
1: Yeah, and they made us look like fools, Andrew. Fools, I tells you. Because we had pronounced in the podcast before that we felt as if penalty kick-taking was getting better. but um, Oh,
0: we did not think that. Oh,
1: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wash it's, my hands. It's interesting how that works, isn't it? it? Very interesting. I say something and you won't take collective responsibility for the podcast. Right, you but- know
0: what? You're, you're right. Let's do that from now on. Like, like for example, we both believe that Jose Mourinho was going to be a huge success at Tottenham. This is fun. I'm going to start no, doing don't. this more often. JJ. Actually,
1: I take that back. I don't want that to happen. Okay.
0: Um, we love VAR. <laughs> uh,
1: about this game, Andrew, uh, which was, uh, you know, another enthralling game, uh, which kind of, I mean, it brought it brought some players to the fore again. Jan Sommer, uh, I was watching it in a bar in Brooklyn, and uh, Jan Sommer was the, uh, was the man of the moment for, for a long period in that game. Yeah. Um, but the sending off, um that really seemed to change. I mean, it was it was a stroke of luck for Spain, really. It seemed to change everything, didn't it? <laughs> well, yes.
0: Um, and especially too, cause uh, I mean, boy, I thought it was I really I guess I, I can see why it was given, but to me I don't know. It just felt hard. It felt really harsh. And I, I don't know. Like I always in the NBA, you always have these mental dilemmas of like, it's a tie game in a crucial playoff game. uh, The defense ratchets up in the final seconds and like the ref decides to call a foul. Like, was it literally a foul? Maybe, but do you, do you adjust for the moment? when you're, you know, do you raise the standard of what should or shouldn't, when the referee should or shouldn't kind of decide something. And, like, for something like that, that foul, it just, you know, in a tie game, in a knockout tournament, in a knockout stage of a major tournament, like, I don't know. I I think I kind of raise my standard of when I believe a referee's decision should affect the outcome. And red carding Switzerland at that spot – I mean, I don't, I don't know what would have happened, but it certainly was important.
1: He's just – the referee uh, was Michael Oliver, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 it was. Yeah, he's just inserted himself into the game. Um, honestly, Andrew, it, it, it wasn't – he wasn't, uh, you know, endangering the safety of an opponent – He's got a lot of the ball. There's a follow through. All right. But it's not a it's not a dangerous follow through. You're not injuring anyone in that fashion or it's going to be very unfortunate if you do. Uh, to me, it was dreadfully harsh. And uh, I know it's I, I I don't I don't understand why it was given. Uh, it changed the complexion of the game because, it you know, the Swiss had battled to get back into it and they found themselves in a good moment. Um, this was a this was a really, really tough game. Uh, for the Spanish, and it was interesting. I uh, I was reading on the Euro 2020 app. So Graham Hunter, our friend, uh, friend of the podcast, he's the Spain reporter. So when they're doing their match recaps on the Euro 2020 app, which is a pretty good app, uh, they give they take a little a little blurb, a little uh, paragraph on uh, on it, each team from the the respective reporters. Uh, perspective and uh, obviously for Spain it's Graham and Graham had this to say about the Spanish performance nobody claimed that Spain were perfect but this was an afternoon which which proved where their problems lie if they lose an edge physically or mentally then their exuberant sparkling football can go a little flat I I thought that's exactly what happened in this game and no matter how much the coach and the two players dislike talking about the subject Pau Torres and American Laporte as two left-footed central defenders simply don't look all that comfortable together. Nothing wrong with the effort nor the basic concepts, but the verve wasn't there. Frankly, they could stand to learn from their opponents' daring and all-or-nothing attitude. Then again, Spain just love penalty shootouts. Onwards, just. That's true. The point he makes about uh, Pau Torres and Laporte, you could see it in the game, you could see it in the in the mistake that led to the equalizer. Um but yeah, when 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 there's a, a physical or mental or a something goes a little bit against them, this team can lose its its sparkle and its verve, as as Graham said. And I thought we were pretty high on Spain, even despite the fact that Croatia pegged them back to bring them to extra time in the last game. Um I, I wonder if if you know Roberto Mancini is looking at those center backs and thinking that's somewhere we can we can profit.
0: I'm sure he is. Now, I will say this about Spain. It's not like they were completely limp in this
1: one. No, they weren't. They definitely Uh, weren't.
0: They generated chances. I mean, like you said, Jan Sommer was excellent. Ten saves in this. And that leads to an excellent trivia question for you, JJ. Um, All right. So Jan Sommer, ten saves. The last goalkeeper with more in a single Euro match was?
1: Uh, Sir Timothy of Howard.
0: Uh, So he's actually American. So he would not have been playing.
1: Sorry, uh, sorry, 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 sorry. Sorry, Euros, not not world, not tournament. Sorry, um, in the Euros,
0: but I'll tell you this for you hmm. specifically. I would tell you, don't think too hard.
1: Ooh, uh, don't think too hard.
0: More than ten saves in a single Euro match. God, was not that long ago, and Spain was also the opponent.
1: Uh, um. No, go on, tell me. Shea Given. (laughs) No, you're not doing this.
0: Who made 11 saves against Spain in a group stage loss in 2012.
1: Andrew. Yeah. How dare you? Why? Uh, That may be a correct statistic. It may be very correct. Mm -hmm. I want you to then look how many goals he conceded. Look.
0: Look. Facts are facts an
1: ideal. In fact, all right, (laughs) that is, that is, that is so uh, you are right. Technically you're right by the numbers and the facts you are right. That is so bogus, bogus. (laughs) What was was, he was literally, and I'd like to see some of those saves, by the way, he was injured going into the tournament. Hmm. He was, he looked very old in that game and he conceded four goals. Made 11 saves. Oh man! Even my stupid, my stupid answer of Tim Howard would have been better than this. Oh my no. god! <laughs>
0: oh, come on.
1: Hey. He was excellent that day. That's how history <laughs> will really remember. He was
0: He wasn't. He'd never even say it. Oh my god! That's how history remembers it. JJ. Oh
1: lord, that is a <sighs> horrendous. <laughs>
0: um. So Spain are through. I don't. I actually don't have a ton left on this game, uh, but I am extremely excited about that matchup: Spain and Italy.
1: Oh, it's like, going to be, I think that's going to be great. By yeah. the way, that is one of the most, if not the most regular matchup in European championships, Spain v. Italy. That kind of shocked me.
0: What do you mean in terms of how many times they, they have played each other in major tournaments?
1: Yeah. I, I Look, my head is full of things. I've been watching so much football. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that uh, a commentator said those words.
0: Uh, yeah, I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but that sounds about right. I could see that.
1: Can, can I um, can I do one more thing? Uh, I mean, they we... they
0: met in the 2012 final.
1: I certainly remember right. that. Right. Can we go back to our our chart of um from oh, the yes from the previews? <laughs> <laughs> I promise I won't dwell on this too long. Squad average age versus playing time in the season 2020-21. 20, 20, so England with their huge amount of minutes who led this table but uh they were on the good side of it. So they had about 3,200 minutes across their squad played in for, in club football but their average age was in around was more, was one of the younger ones actually. It was in around 24.6 24.8 years of age. So there's England in a semi-final uh, Belgium who are out. Uh, They are, they were one of the oldest teams but actually didn't have They were mid-ranking for minutes. Italy uh, at around 2,800 minutes uh, and an average age of 27, 27 27.4. They're still in it, obviously. Denmark, Andrew, similar age to Italy. uh, Quite a few less less minutes, 2,200 minutes. They're still in it. Um, What does this prove about anything? Don't know. It was a lot of numbers. Spain, yeah, Spain. Uh, So Spain and England actually are in terms of minutes are, um, are the, the remaining teams with the, the the two remaining teams with the most amount of minutes uh, going into semifinals. I don't think that makes a difference now. I think we've answered our question on that. Um, Maybe it'll make a difference uh, in the semifinals, but, um, but England have shown that with their ability to rotate the squad, no, no problems. Uh,
0: Along along those lines, like, is there any, I, I've seen this talked about a little bit, JJ, is there anything to be made of the fact that the before semifinalists all had their group stage matches played at home in their yeah. home countries?
1: Yeah. Is that before, a
0: coincidence or is there something to that?
1: No, nah, there's something in that. Okay. Of course there is. I mean, there's something in the fact that the Danes um, went into their final group game with all that adversity with a partisan crowd behind them yeah. against Russia to try and to try and lift them to that victory. Of course there is. Um, There's something in the fact that Wales have to travel to Baku and then to Rome and then to Amsterdam. Like you just can't discount that. Um, There definitely is. uh, There definitely is something in it. And having a home crowd is a it's a pretty nice advantage to have.
0: Well, there you go. Uh, That's our look at the quarterfinal stage of the European Championships. I'll tell you what. Let's take a, a super quick break. When we come back on the other side, we'll get to our other things are happening portion of the program. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now, caught offside as we wind it down here, JJ, on a beautiful 4th of July, at least where I am. it's It looks gorgeous out. Uh, I can't wait to bring my children to fireworks tonight where they will undoubtedly be completely petrified and probably make it a miserable experience for everyone around them.
1: 4th <laughs> uh, of July memories.
0: <laughs> um, uh,
1: you, you take a lot of joy in bringing other people down to your misery level.
0: Uh, I think you've unfairly pegged me in that way. I think I'm a much more upbeat and positive person than, than I'm given credit for. Um, but uh, whatever I can take it. Uh, let's see a couple other things, JJ, that I wanted to mention. Obviously I, I wanted to at least say that the um, Copa America is now almost, it's essentially kind of reaching its conclusion here. Uh, and we've really gone all in on it. Um, <laughs> let's see. So Brazil um, Gabriel Jesus sent off, but they do advance one nil over Chile um and uh also that same night an incredible uh 3-3 peru advancing on penalties against paraguay there were red cards there were late goals for both teams um a really thrilling match so peru are into the semifinals as well and then uh leo messi once again leading argentina uh, scoring a late goal 3-0 over ecuador and uh also colombia advancing on penalties so you've got uh some of the big the, the big boys are all still there. Certainly, Colombia, Argentina, Brazil, and they'll be joined by Peru. Um, so I don't have too much else. I
1: no the Gabriel Jesus tackle was a worldie, an all timer, a a kung fu kick to the face. <laughs> um, and uh, it made me go down a wormhole of other bad tackles like that. The Nigel De Young. That's one. always where I go. Yeah, but honestly if everyone just looks it up, Jason McAteer versus Macedonia world cup qualifying 1998 is the daddy. Because uh, as I was, uh, I was tweeting with um, Michael Goodman about this of CBS. Um, he goes about my, uh, Gabriel Jesus's Jesus tackle. He goes, I would have liked a little bit more elevation on the jump where he's <laughs> jumping to Kung Fu kick the opponent. And I said, elevation, you say McAteer gets up so high, wins the ball. And then nearly decapitates the Macedonian player. It's stunning piece of uh, football violence. Uh, where does it rank um, on like the
0: the Daniel Sun Grasshopper kick scale? Ooh,
1: it's up there. Honestly, okay. execution-wise, everything he uh, he really, really was channeling the spirit of of Ralph uh, matteo Really was. Uh, by the way, if we're doing. Um, if we're doing a quick, other things are happening. Uh, Rafa Benitez is the new Everton manager.
0: So <laughs> this is very awkward. I don't even like talking about this, Why? but so I don't have the, the text messages in front of me, but so when this was first kind of hinted at um, like, what was it? Probably a week and a half ago, it was right. sort of like the rumblings first began. I don't know. I, I, I guess my head was still stuck in a place of Newcastle fans being like utterly depressed when he left. Right. And like him having done a, a pretty given the circumstances, like a pretty good job there. So for whatever reason, my head was just kind of in like a positive Rafa Benitez state. Uh, That's just where I was at. And so I saw the news that it looked like Everton were going for him. And so instinctively I then send a text to a bunch of my everton buddies with a link to the tweet where i, where I saw that oh no I, no no and i was like oh you guys must must be happy about this and like the the wave of vitriol i was so blown away by it like they came at me <laughs> they were angry at me uh they couldn't believe that i would say that they couldn't tell if i was kidding or being sarcastic or, or serious and I was, I was like, no. And then I kind of like sheepishly had to like talk my way back. And finally I was like, you know what? I, I can see where you guys are coming from, because if, if Tottenham signed him, I probably wouldn't be super enthused. So, you know, I concede I was wrong. And then they're like, oh what? You don't think we're Tottenham now? And I'm like, all right, like uh, you know what? I'm just gonna remove myself. Let's all just <laughs> pretend that the last five minutes never happened here. So uh, JJ, I can all I can say about this appointment is that Everton fans are not overjoyed.
1: No. Uh, there was a a banner written in bed sheets and biro left outside the uh outside of goodison park that was uh, not very flattering to the appointment um yeah i i tweeted uh local local man uh, picks up job uh, coaching local team which is kind of true you know he he lives in the area uh, he lives in the world um the greater Merseyside area uh and um yeah i it's it's not it's not good and then and then all the old quotations um his quote after a derby where where everton actually won where he talked about everton being a small club um 15 years ago or 16 years ago that's re-emerged which hasn't helped the situation at all um we'll talk i'm sure we'll get a chance in our in our season previews to talk more about this one but um I, i'm not sure where i land on it yet i think overall it's not a good move for everton um but we we shall see, and uh, and Tottenham search is over.
0: It sure is, JJ. Uh, this name had been kind of thrown about for months, which is how long this search lasted. Uh, but it is Nuno Espirito Santo, formerly of Wolves, who takes the Tottenham job. Um, I don't know. I was I was kind of meh on it when they when they announced it, but mm. you yeah, know you know me. I'll talk myself into anything so i'm oh, uh, absolutely so, yeah 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 so uh, yeah like but like why not like i i guess i could just be angry and like not really the, i could just like choose my default setting to be this isn't going to work but i'm i don't know like i'm i'm kind of not wired thing,
1: i'm not wired that way then you are not wired that way uh you know you don't want conflict um but the amazing thing for me about you is and what i've learned about you and and, and your teams and the the teams you support, Tottenham could have announced Andy Dick was I mean, manager. Come on, that's not right. And you, and you would have talked yourself into it. Yeah, what would I have
0: said about that? Well, you know the the locker room's been down. They could use some humor. Uh, he's a little wacky. He'll take the spotlight off the players. Yeah, you, know, you know what? Andy Dick, let's go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Look, um, I, by the way, in, I'm in terms about of,
0: to. And, and look, like the last bit on this in terms of style, like I, I've heard a lot talked about, this is kind of like a meet the new boss, same as the old boss, like Tottenham are coming out of a, yeah. a negative era of with a Portuguese manager who played a, a you know, a, a style of football that was not what Tottenham fans have come to know their club to represent. And now they've brought in almost a, a clone of that. Um, maybe, maybe that's true. I mean, I I've read things about how, when he was in Portugal, his style was not what it became at wolves. Um, I don't know. I'd like to think success matters. I mean, he, he did uh, this last season, obviously was a step back. Um, There were circumstances there that maybe affected that in some way, losing Roel Jimenez without having a suitable backup was clearly a thing that they just could not recover from. Uh, But you know, what were they the two years before that seventh and seventh? Um, So I'll see, like, I I don't know. I don't look, I don't feel great about it, but I'm not like, I'm not going to use this as a reason to say that like, tottenham can't can't be good this season i don't know um it's a i guess I it's some, just a wait a wait and see appointment for me so that's I'm, it.
1: after this podcast i'm going to go back to bed just for an hour and uh, i'm going to relax and i'm going to read uh jack pitbrook on how tottenham got to nuno Espirito santi um I'm, I'm going to read that um because apparently it's it's quite something
0: yeah it was a fun ride and, and, and we'll talk on. about
1: what's the, what a ride um and, you know, we'll talk about all of this as um, as the preseason winds up and club football emerges on the horizon again.
0: Yeah. Uh, last thing for me, JJ, before we get out on this podcast here and we'll let you all get back to your wonderful 4th of July holidays. Mm. Uh, we, we should have led with this with it being 4th of July, quite frankly. But uh, the U.S. men's national team released their Gold Cup roster and... Um, it's i would say it's mostly what we expected we knew that mckinney pulisic adams reina like we, we pretty much knew that it was not going to be issue. well a me squad. and you were
1: holding on to faint hope that they'd somehow be released for this
0: no it's just it's very frustrating like i'm i'm i don't want to send the wrong message here i am still excited about this tournament and there are a lot of players on this roster that i am very excited to watch no doubt full stop period whatever um but i do wish like we're watching the european championships copa america is going on and it's like all the guys that you want to see right why can't we have that like why can't no. a, why can't we have a domestic tournament where everybody that we want to see is participating in a tournament format like the top us like we always talk about the epic 4-2 us mexico game uh at the at the gold cup at, at the rose bowl like i feel like we don't get those anymore Yeah, And it's, it's just kind of generally frustrating. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure I could go look up and read why this tournament was being played when it is. And like how, you know, the reason for this obviously is that it's bleeding over Greg Berhalter talked about it. Like, obviously he he wanted to include his guys, his a squad, but like, he was very um, what's the word I'm looking for. He was just like very respectful of the fact that what they do for their clubs they, they have guys who are kind of in transitional moments at their clubs like Pulisic is not a lockdown starter necessarily Gio Reyna is still very young like it's important for these guys to be uh indoctrinated to their club sides yep. immediately and so Bearhalter was uh was was respectful of that and wants to make sure that those guys who are playing for teams in Europe where they're competing for spots in the starting 11 could get every chance to, to win those spots it's just frustrating because yeah, it would have I- been
1: cool and the fans are frustrated too. You know, there's a couple of names that have been rolled out. Like Jackson Ewell is getting it from, from U.S. fans for being selected. It's not his fault, but their argument is, have we not seen enough of this guy already? You know? Um, Jonathan Lewis from Colorado. What, why are we watching him again? Um, even within disregarding the the top European players that won't be playing in this for the U.S., there is a... A cohort of U.S. fans that had a totally, not totally different, but had a different list of players that they would have liked to have seen. On the upside, there are some players in there that it's going to be interesting to, to see. Um, Gianluca Busio, Sporting Kansas. That's going to be interesting. going to be interesting to see Sam Vines in a, in a U.S. jersey again. Uh, for example, uh, James Sands, lots of, of MLS watchers want to see him, see what he can do coming out of the back with the ball. Okay. Um yeah, it's look Daryl DK. Yeah, that's gonna be good to see him there. Um, you know, um, I would have liked to have seen a bit more variety at the goalkeeping position, like Sean Johnson, Matt Turner, Cool, Brad Guzan. He's back, he's back, Brad's back, and yeah, look, we made fun. Was it two years ago when there was an international window and they played a game in St. Louis and we made fun of, Oh, um, this was an American team of, you know, some players, you know, and a bunch of guys, some guys, you know, this does have a feel of, uh, you know, uh, who's playing left back today, Chad Chesterton. Who's playing right back Chesterton, Chad, you know, that kind of thing, uh, just names people. Uh, but, um, hopefully we'll get to know them more as players. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of MLS heads screaming at me right now. You should well, know well, these look,
0: guys. We, we, and we and I was going to say we do. Like we are not looking at these names and being like who's that? Like No, but there there is a, some guys no, It's not the it. it's not the A squad. Like no. that's that's what it comes down to. It's a B trending towards C. Here's the things that I'm interested about with this team.
1: Matthew anyway, Hopp as well from Schalke.
0: Yeah, which is that's cool. Like that'll be fun to see. Uh Reggie Cannon, that's great. Like I enjoy seeing him get more time with the national team setup Cause I, I have super high hopes for his future as well. Young player, fullback, think really highly of him. The things I'm most in- interested about uh, we'll find out a little bit more about the depth that we have at center back, which I think is really important um, for this team. Cause like, you know, okay. Walker Zimmerman, we all think pretty highly of him. We know he'll be, he may be the first name on the team sheet, quite frankly, when uh, although Sebastian Legette is on this team and we know how bear halter feels about him. So he's really the first name on the team sheet. Always loved
1: son of Greg,
0: but like, we'll find out, you know, you mentioned James Sands, Donovan Pines of DC United. Like that will be interesting to me. Uh, miles Robinson of Atlanta United and Syracuse. Um, that, uh, like, so I'm curious to see how our depth pans out at center back, because just like, it's just one of those things where the more I watch this sport, the more I'm just like, that position is so damn important in tournament formats. And, uh, yep. so I'll be curious about that. Um, and, and then, of course,
1: G-R-C's artists. G-R-C's artists.
0: Speaking of which, JJ Columbus, uh, the crew they christened their new stadium, which by the way looks awesome. I mean, a beautiful venue, um, mm-hmm. with with a draw. But mm-hmm. yeah, Giac's artist is on, on this roster. Here's the guys that I'm most excited about. You mentioned one of them, Daryl DK. I just like He's just that guy right now that like we're kind of looking for a consistent goal score. We saw what he did in the championship in cameo appearances with the U.S. We've seen him look good. Now he's going to have a full tournament where he may be the like, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see Zardes versus DK. Like we know where the fans will stand. I'll be curious how Bearhalter goes through the lineup. Matthew Hoppe as well. Um, but there's a player, JJ, whose name was, has been mentioned a lot, of course, for how well he's performed in MLS. And because also he was not included on the Olympic roster, I think so highly and have thought so highly of Eric Williamson of the Portland Timbers for a while. Okay, and a lot of people like that was one of the biggest criticisms of not making the Olympics. Where was Eric Williamson? Why would he have not? Why would he not have been included on that team? I love that he's on this team, and I hope he gets a real shot. I hope we see a lot of him because I think uh, the future is really bright for that guy. He's still fairly young. And uh, I, I like that he's getting the recognition. Again, he's having a good club season in Portland. Um, so he, like, if I'm going through guys I'm most excited about, yeah, DK, certainly, Nicholas Giacchini, um, definitely excited about him. But in terms of the MLS contingent, Williamson, extremely excited and happy to see him on the
1: team. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Will yeah. we look forward to it after this wonderful, wonderful European tournament has ceased.
0: Yeah, it will be like a, a nice kind of, like, there's always disappointment when, when disappointment when major tournaments come to an end because, you know, they happen infrequently. But, like, it'll be kind of cool, like, having the Gold Cup to follow the European Championships, and then we'll go right from that into the club season. So, as we have said a few times on this podcast, the soccer never stops. JJ, this was a lot of fun, man, and we'll be back uh midweek probably a wednesday late afternoon evening podcast to recap the semifinals we will know the, the european championship final at that point uh, so we'll be all over it and then a week from today we'll be sitting here doing a uh, a finals recap podcast so it's just it's coming fast and furious there's no end in sight which is a beautiful thing for us for all of you as well happy fourth of july be safe everyone please 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 whatever it is you're doing please be safe uh, and have a great time with your friends family jj you as well. I don't know if you're going to be taking in the fireworks in New York City, but I oh, hope whatever you're doing, you're having a good time.
1: I will indeed. I will. I will barbecue. I will watch fireworks, and I will. Um, I will contemplate the history of this great nation.
0: I always know that I can rely on JJ to
1: be thinking about. Those I may sorts of pour things. one out for the Ukrainian slash Maryland battalion. There you go. Hey, this was fun, man. To you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, man. <laughs>
0: You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.